Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by professional triathlete Magnus Ditliv. Magnus has been one of the best male long course triathletes in the world for the last few years and two weeks ago won the biggest triathlon in Europe and one of the biggest triathlons in the world at Challenge Roth. This was a huge win because Roth has like as much attention as ever this year with, with a huge field. Three times world champion and the GOAT Jan Frodeno raced in his comeback race, as did the two-time world champion and first man under eight hours at Kona, Patrick Lang. Sam Long was there and, and five people ended up going under eight hours. But Magnus was the one who came out on top in one of the strongest Ironman distance performances we've ever seen in recent times in seven hours, 35 minutes, almost 10 minutes ahead of Patrick Lang in second. Magnus, mate, how's life since winning Roth? Oh, thanks for the introduction. It's, uh, yeah, it has been, uh, to be honest, I have to pinch myself in the arm sometimes that it, it actually happened the way it did. And it has been very, uh, quite a big change for me, both in, yeah, mainly in regards to all the attention I've gotten afterwards, it has been completely <laughs> overwhelming for me. So it's, uh, but I'm trying to get back in a normal training rhythm. And I, I think that's good for me now. Magnus, is the best part of the win the day itself, or is it directly after you've won, or is it with everything that comes after you've won? Oh, that's a difficult question. I think uh, what was quite special about Roth is like the atmosphere there. So when I first, uh, like from the moment I entered the city, uh, five days before the event, I immediately felt incredibly welcome and I could start see that, you know, there was a lot of attention uh for the event and now i was invited to the press conference and and stuff like that and i could feel like okay this is actually quite uh, uh quite something and much bigger than any uh, of the other events i've been doing maybe apart from the pto races uh and then obviously during the event uh like from the start of the swim i could from the whole way through the swim course i was able to hear and see spectators cheering on me and I could sometimes hear my name uh, like it's a it's uh, in a canal so people were standing on both sides of <laughs> and cheering and then out onto the bike it's getting even even more crazy with people all over the place and they have certain hot spots where on the hills where it's like almost uh, like LPS uh, <laughs> atmosphere and then obviously afterwards, it's there. There's just been so many great, uh, like small side uh, things after the events also. So it feels like it's just continuing and continuing to get bigger and bigger. So it's hard for me to to choose if it's actually the race itself or just the whole uh, experience. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where not many people like in the world ever win a race as big as that. Um, Roth was. Like I said in the intro, it was as hyped as, as I reckon I've I've seen a race race be like maybe outside of a world championships and um and, and even with the live stream like it had quite a lot of people watching it compared to to usual and and Solar mm. Hill like you talked about it was like flooded with people on the day and, <laughs> and and yeah like even I've noticed on social media and that sort of thing you seem to be getting a lot of attention from it. Jan Fredino got so much attention and he pulled out of the race like it was just it was just a massive race, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It has been, uh, <laughs> I was, I've been speechless the whole <laughs> week leading up to, and then afterwards. So, but it's good that I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that is very uh, outspoken and really loves the attention and all that. So I think it's also good for me now to get, get back to my normal <laughs> training, uh, 
training squad and rhythm again. Hey, we'll, we'll get onto your training in a bit, but I was um, I was thinking before this, like I think you are the most underrated triathlete on planet Earth right now, and and that's saying something because <laughs> a lot of triathletes don't get a lot of attention, but are very good. Um, for example, like your performance. Um, a few weeks earlier at, at Ironman Texas is probably the most underrated performance in in the history of Ironman. Like you, if things had have gone your way with with mechanicals on that day, that would have been an insane performance. And and yet I haven't really heard anything about it. And then that win at Roth, like mm. I don't know how many people in the world were beating you that day. Like <laughs> maybe one or two if they had good days, but. But shit, maybe not. Like I, th- I think that was as strong as a performance w- as we've seen this year. Maybe outside of Christian's performance at at St George at the World Championships. Um, did you have you been feeling this? Have you been feeling like you're in insane form and and in training is are things going well and you're just thinking like fuck, I'm I'm on I'm on here. Oh yeah, thanks for those kind words. I think uh, actually I've been. It maybe is, it sounds arrogant or something, but it's uh, not meant that way. But I've been feeling a bit underrated for <laughs> quite some time now. And maybe it comes down to my personality. I'm not very active on social media and stuff like that. So I'm, I don't have the the biggest platform there. So I think it, a lot of it comes down to that. But I think some of my... Like we have seen some numbers in training that are completely, uh, yeah. We knew that I would, I was able to to deliver a performance uh, like that, like I did in Roth, and we knew that actually I've been able to do that for quite some time. So it has mainly been a folk, like a, a question of time for us, and and also just it's so difficult to actually put a race together all yeah, across all three disciplines when you are so inexperienced and young like me so we've basically just been taking it uh, really careful and not uh, like trying to avoid injuries and stuff like that but we have seen from training that it would only be a matter of time I knew of course I had some quite uh, good results before Roth but we also knew that there was a, a potential mm-hmm. to do even better and I think Roth was uh, yeah, the perfect <laughs> race for me so far. Yeah, I mean, for, probably since about 2020, late 2019, you've had uh, like a bunch of like world-class performances. And and, and yeah, like I said, and, and now like you've said, they, they have definitely gone underrated. Um, I think like even races where you probably don't consider them your, your best performances ever, like at the 70.3 World Champs last year, I thought mm. you were super impressive and – and and on like that could have gone very differently as well and you know I really I thought no what like your performance at Portugal was really strong I thought there was a couple of um a couple of the PTO races where you were clearly the the strongest cyclist in the field and they were you know no one was missing from those start lines and yeah so it it, it is a bit weird that that outside of like people in the know you don't really get as much traction I think it maybe is because your personality because you're very humble and and very down to earth and, and seem just to, to go go about your business. But I, I think it's not going to be long before people consider you, you know, if not the best, one of the very best triathlete, triathletes, long course triathletes in the world. Yeah, I think, as you say, I think it has been, I've been extremely close to delivering a performance like this before. It has just been some small, maybe tactical or nutritional errors that has uh, kept me away from really like uh, pushing through uh, 
and now I can already feel after Roth it has been going <laughs> crazy since then. So <laughs> I think people will start to uh, recognize me a little bit more now. On Roth, um, I want to get into to heaps of things on it, but let's do a bit of a, a deep dive on it. So uh, like we've already talked about, there was so much attention on the fact that Jan Frodeno was coming back to race. And, and pretty much any time Jan Frodeno does anything in the long course triathlon world, it gets a heap of traction and, and attention and, and right, rightfully so. He's an Olympic champion and a, and a three-time world champion. Um, we got Leading into the race, were you thinking about who was going to be there and how that would impact the race? Or were you literally just inside your training group, in your training environment, just doing you? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a combination, I think. I'm I'm based in Denmark and we have a, like a small squad with uh, some uh, actually quite young athletes, all uh, mainly younger than me. So it's quite motivating to to train with them. And I was we were like since Texas, we have been experimenting with some uh, yeah, some new stuff with aer- aerodynamics and altitude tens and stuff like that. So actually, my training leading into it has been quite. Uh, stressful because of all those side projects and as you can imagine maybe sleeping in an altitude tent when it's uh maybe 30 25 to 30 degrees outside can be quite uh <laughs> quite warm so the sleep i got <laughs> in the tent was not really <laughs> uh, at the end actually one week before roth where i was supposed to leave the tent at tuesday and already Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before Roth, uh, I was feeling so tired, and I remember I was out for an easy jog, and I almost couldn't uh, complete one hour easy uh, running. So we decided to to like to stop the altitude <laughs> simulation a, a bit early. So the lead up wasn't perfect, but on the other hand, I knew uh, my numbers were quite good and. It motivated me that I knew Jan was coming, Patrick was coming, and Sam was coming. So I was I was feeling like even though I'm, as you say, maybe quite humble and and not as loud speaking as others, I I actually have quite a high uh, belief in myself uh, from within. So I think I I thought that I should be able to if I managed to recover from the like the fatigue I had in the body from sleeping in the altitude tent that I should be able to compete with those guys. And um, would, do you, like now that you've finished the race and you've won the race, have you guys, you and your team talked about, you know, those little changes you've made, particularly maybe sleeping with an altitude tent um, or, or any of the other changes that you made or experiments that you did leading into it and decided, hey, that worked or it didn't work or how are we going to do things differently next time? Yeah, so the altitude uh, project was actually to, it's the first time I, I ever try altitude both. I've never been to like real altitude or have never been sleeping in a tent. But we, after Texas, we basically sat down, my coach and I, and made a list of things I needed to, we needed to investigate and to, to tick off, you can say. Uh, if I was supposed to, like if if I should have a chance to, podium at Kona so the first thing I did when I got back from Texas and back to my home was to start working on all those (laughs) things simultaneously and then uh, you get a little bit uh, (laughs) busy with that and we did some blood tests before and after the altitude experiments and we actually saw that 
so what what you want to see is an increase in uh, hemoglobin mass and i did not have any i had only one percent but that's within the uh, uncertainties of the like the measurements so i think we will not do the altitude tent again uh, for them for the moment but still it's like even though I didn't see an increase, it's good that we did it because now we know I don't have to spend time uh, doing it leading into Kona. So it was to try some things and see if I responded or not. And even though I had, I didn't have a response, it's still valuable knowledge uh, moving forward. And and sorry, did you say that um, on top of sleeping in the altitude tent, did you do any anything at altitude leading into Roth or is that something that you're still going to experiment with down the line or have you just written off altitude as a, as a thing that that's part of your training from now on? No. So I was, I was sleep, I was staying in Denmark and then sleeping in my altitude tent. So that was the only altitude we did. And I think the next step is going to be uh, like real altitude staying at and training at high altitude and, I'm a bit uncertain if we will ha we have time to do it before Kona or not. Uh, maybe it's something, I mean, I'm still so young in the sport. I'm developing just by training. So I think we need to be a little bit careful not to throw in all like <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> different things at the same time. So I think that, that real altitude uh, and training in altitude is something we will maybe try uh, after the season. And then aside from, from those little changes that you were making, was was your training leading into into Roth pretty much the same as what it's always been? Were you just doing more of the same? And and like, was it the same as you're building to, into, say, Texas before that? And and if it was, what, what did that look like? And, and if it was different, what did that look like? Yeah, it's uh, it's the first season, uh, just to get an overview, it's, it's the first season I've been... <laughs> doing Ironman, so Texas was my, my first full distance. And I think we we have been a bit surprised that it has been <laughs> has gone so well. But the thought actually initially was that on the 70.3 distance, we could see that my, for instance, if I was supposed to do a 20 minute time trial, uh, like pure time trial effort on the bike or run a five kilometer uh, uh, road race, then I can put out some some quite good numbers. But in racing at 70.3, I'm not able to go at a very high percentage of like, for instance, that 20 minute power or race close to my 5k. Uh, like the gap between what I'm, uh, you could say maybe my VO2 max or something like that. And, and my actual racing values has been quite uh, large. So we decided to implement a more endurance-based block of training, which we thought fitted quite well with doing uh, Ironman Texas. So that was actually the, the thought behind Texas. Uh, and then we saw some quite, uh, we do a lot of uh, laboratory testing, so we could see some quite good uh, uh, gains in from the way that training were going. And, and then after Texas, I think, we wanted to see if uh, the flat I had just before T2, uh, if that affected the run uh, at all or not, because we were a bit unsure about that. So the, the training leading into Roth has been quite similar to what I've been doing the whole uh, year, actually. 
And, and are you a kind of the kind of guy? Because I, I was just talking to Frederick Funk the other day, and and he's a guy who just thinks it's stupid that we have so much secrecy in the sport. Like guys hide their power numbers and hide their training, so he just goes and puts it all on Strava and uploads like a thing every week mm. about a training session he does. Where do you sit on that? Are you a guy who? is quite secretive with the specifics of what you do or or do you not care and, and couldn't care less if everyone knew exactly what you did? I'm always, like I was also on Strava for quite some time actually, but then I decided to move away, away from it uh, mainly because of uh, like myself and I could see that I got a little bit, maybe it sounds silly, but got a little bit uh, influenced on sometimes going too hard on easy sessions for instance just because you wanted to look cool <laughs> and it for me that it has really helped to just uh, uh, go away from Strava and and then really not care about <laughs> knowing that others are not looking at what i'm doing so for instance if i have a, a an off day then it, i i don't think about that other people are thinking, wow, he's not going very fast today. And uh, so that was the, the main reason. Uh, I think it's it's a really cool uh, platform if you can handle it. But I'm also quite a, <laughs> a competitive <laughs> guy. So I think sometimes I got a little bit carried away with it. And But if someone asks me what I'm doing in a 70.3 or how many watts I'm pushing, I'm always uh, willing to share that and uh, also all the training I'm doing I'm always willing to share that it's just I don't want it to to influence uh, the way I'm training especially on the easier days yeah I think that's good it's it's healthy because you're right it's not just you I, I think everyone who's ever been on Strava whether they've you know there's someone who's ran a five-hour marathon or whether there's someone like yourself who's one of the best endurance athletes on on the in the world there they've been negatively impacted by the the ego that can can sort of um develop because you're putting things out there on a social media platform exactly yeah i mean uh, in, endurance athletes are uh, incredibly uh, have a quite a big ego so it can be quite difficult to even though it's very silly when you are one of the best in the world but yeah i just found myself that it has been quite healthy to go away from it and i think a lot of people actually are uh like they are training just to put it out on Strava and then going maybe too hard on the intervals or easy sessions. And then the, the whole training stimulus of, of the session gets, uh, yeah, it's not, you don't get the right effect out of it and it's holding them back. I think. I think maybe this is where like having really strong people in your corner can help as well. Like a really good coach who can, who can help you through that stuff? Do, does your did like did that stuff develop from a conversation you and your coach had about it, or or was it entirely driven by you? Uh, it was actually uh, entirely driven by me. But yes, my coach has always been uh, very supportive and and has been highlighting the fact that it is very stupid to to go hard on the easy sessions. You need to be recovered for the hard sessions, and and so it has been maybe. It wasn't him directly, but he's all, always been emphasizing that uh, it's, yeah. And in the lead up to Roth, is it sort of hard to not think about what other people are doing? Like like, like you said, and like I've said, you were racing Jan and Patrick who 
uh, are probably the two best Ironman distance athletes um, in big races over the last half decade to decade. And, and Sam Long, who isn't on that level yet, but has been racing as well as anyone over 70.3 over the last sort of, or over the, the COVID years, we'll call them. Um, and, and he's really good at generating hype based on, on his social media presence. So is it really hard to see those guys posting and the videos made about, you know, the comebacks or that Sam's coming over to Europe and, and not think about what they're doing in training and not like be like, Oh, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I wonder what Jan's doing. I wonder what Patrick's doing. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, it's not actually really difficult. I quite, I have a very strong relationship with my coach and I really trust the work we do. And, uh, honestly believe that if if i'm able to complete the 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 plan we make then i will uh, be uh, competitive when we tow the line so but of course when you see uh, a video from sam long doing like uh, i remember he did i think a break session going into the uh, to roth uh, which he put out on youtube where he basically wrote 180 kilometers at race pace and then ran 30 or something like that in race pace so it's hard not to to get to to see that and have some thoughts about it but i think i'm quite quick to just put it away and then get back to my own uh, yeah focus on my own work and what were you doing in the lead up to roth like um did you do a specific block leading into roth and and if so how many weeks was that post texas and and how long did that block go for that was specifically designed towards getting you fit for roth um and yeah what did what did that look like uh yeah so we are i think uh previously we've been more uh quite block uh oriented where we have been doing three weeks on and then one week of uh recovery uh but actually this year has been more like instead of doing three really hard weeks just doing consistent hard weeks maybe a little less volume than what i would have had in the three weeks but just doing them consistently so the focus uh actually since uh my last race last year so since my off season has been uh, i've had a quite a big running focus so i've been running more than i have ever had uh with some quiet uh yeah i said that we were doing the endurance uh focus so i've been running around 120 kilometers each week between texas and roth so it's quite a large running volume and and then the bike we knew I have a quite a high level on that. So it has been a little bit down prioritized, but still doing some key, two key sessions each week, which where one was uh, a long endurance uh, interval session with, for instance, three times one hour at what we call LT1. So it's basically a little bit above Ironman pace. Uh, and then doing that on the turbo trainer so it's so i can practice exactly my race nutrition and then the other uh, key bike session in the week has been more sort of a traditional uh, threshold session uh, something like six times 10 minutes or something Uh, and then some easier rides and and then main focus on on the running and and with your running, were you doing many specific sessions or was it more just like a volume block where you were you were doing some longer runs, maybe maybe some runs at around Ironman pace or 
yeah, how did how did your run weeks actually break down? Yeah, so I've I was running six times, uh, six days per week, and that was the only day I wasn't running was Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday was just a one hour easy jog. So that's around thirteen to fourteen kilometers, and then Tuesday. I've been doing, even though it's quite hard in Denmark to actually find a hill, but I've been doing hill reps uh, quite uh, quite in high intensity actually, but not yeah something that I would say just low VO2 max. Uh, basically, the hill is one minute and 40 seconds or something like that. So, and then easy jog down. So I did that. Uh, the the main session I did was 16 times up and 16 times easy down uh, at yeah low view two pace and then Thursday was a long easy run which we built up to two hours and Saturday was the uh, the like the the same as the Wednesday bike session which is. The longest I did was 40, 30, 20, 10 minutes at LT1, which is around, yeah, a little bit faster than Ironman pace. So I did that around 3.30 pace or something like that. And that ends up being quite a long session as well. So you could say it's quite volume-based training, all of it, actually. Yeah. What was the longest that Saturday run got up to in distance? You would have, You would have done like a heap then. Yeah, I think it's uh, ended up the longest one at 33 kilometers or something like that. Yeah, with like the majority of it, like almost two hours of it being slightly faster than than Ironman marathon pace. Ironman pace, yeah. Yeah. And and then with with all that cycling, I've always wondered this about you because you sort of, in my mind, I think what you came on the scene as was like, oh, who's this guy that's out of nowhere the best cyclist in, in triathlon? Like that's how... That's how I think it came across and and you just rode to the front of these races and everyone it sort of just was like, Who who is this guy? He's just he's like he's riding so much better than everyone else in the world right now. Um and, and so I I've always wanted to ask you like how much you actually do, whether you're a big volume guy on the bike, like um, what has your cycling training looked like historically? Yeah, so I think it comes down to the a period for around uh, two seconds around 2018 or something like that where I I was that was just the time I started being like doing professional triathlon even though I was still studying besides that so it was not uh, as dedicated as I am now but but I had a quite uh, serious accident on my bike, which uh, where I broke my collarbone and my other arm and shoulder blades and stuff like that. So I couldn't swim for more than half a year. So what I did in that period was, and also because of the broken collarbone, I wasn't able to run because of all the, the jumps you do. Uh, it, it really hurt in the, in the broken bones. And then, but I was still able to ride on a stationary trainer. So I really just started riding every day uh, on my turbo trainer in that period. And that also meant that since I couldn't run, then we really had to take it carefully with the running after I got back. So I had a period of maybe 
from the start where I crashed. Uh, and then actually I had another accident after that. So it ended up being maybe two years where I wasn't able to do a lot of running. Uh, so in that period, I just, we just, I basically <laughs> rode my bike every day. So the volume in that period was quite high and we could see from my numbers that the, my level just, <laughs> it just got better and better almost e each week. So that was quite of a, like you could say volume based period but also with some some intensity of course and then as we have been uh, ramping up the run running volume until now the cycling has i think it's almost impossible to because at that at that time i was riding my bike maybe three three hours each day uh, and that's quite difficult to do when you are if you want to run 120 kilometers also so we have been uh the the cycling volume has been going down a little bit uh, because of the increased running volume so now i think i'm i'm riding uh five times each week maybe around 15 hours or something like that and on average and and so since that that crash where you started doing most of your cycling indoors do you still do that because i think that's a common theme with with almost every, like for lack of a better word, Uber cyclist in the sport at the moment, they all seem to be riding the majority of their rides indoors, like especially when they do sessions. Yeah, so obviously being from Denmark, uh, the weather is quite challenging most of the year. Uh, but actually, even though it's quite good right now, so even in the summer, we actually keep... Uh, one or two key sessions each week on the turbo trainer because it's just so we are before that it's something we we started uh, doing this year actually but we all always found that the, the time of the year I was in best cycling shape was basically when I went from having done all my rides indoor which I always do in the winter and then when I got, got went outside so it was because of the indoor training that that uh, that was the time of the year where I was actually having the highest biking level. So we we wanted to to we have been implementing one or two key sessions each week uh, still on the turbo trainer because it's simply so. I mean, I've the the LT one session uh, on the bike I mentioned earlier. I've been doing indoors. It's so effective. You can basically pedal for four hours straight and not. <laughs> take your gas off the pedal at all so and also it, it makes it quite easy to simulate the nutrition you want to do in racing so you can practice that and experiment with some of that things and you can also ride at a much more like it's just such a controlled environment you can ride at the exact cadence you want you can have high cadence low cadence and and so all sorts of things and when you say like um, your numbers and when your numbers are quite good. Can you give us an idea of what your numbers look like when they're at their best or like, you know, what they were just before mm. Roth and then what they're, what they're like when you're sort of coming off and off season and, and, and the range there? Yeah, on the bike or? On the bike, yeah. Yeah. So I was tested uh, in the – we did some laboratory testing Tuesday before Roth where – 
it's yeah, it's a class very very common step test actually, and also VO two max. But but uh, I think the step test is most uh, stuff most value here. So there we could see that my like the the point where the lactate curves is uh, breaking, you could say, is around four hundred and thirty watts. So that's around my LT two and. Basically, I don't accumulate any lactate up until 390 or something like that. So. So, so when you say that, when you say you don't accumulate any lactate um, when you're riding up till 390 watts, how long could you hold 390 watts for? Uh, um, it's If I'm like, that was what uh, I was saying earlier, it's, in the races, I've actually not been able to to go at a at a very high percentage of that in because I think it comes down to my very low training age. I didn't do any endurance uh, running, biking, or cycling, or running, swimming, or or biking earlier. So, but if I if I did it from a fresh, uh, no swimming before, and I don't have to run uh, afterwards, then. I think 390 in the arrow position, I should be able to ride for, yeah, it's difficult to say, but at least two, two or three hours. Jesus. That's actually insane. I, I want, that would be, <laughs> they would be the best numbers in triathlon. Pure, pure. Yeah. My, what you have to take in mind is, is also weight. that I'm, I'm, I'm at a 80, a yeah. little bit more than 80 kilos at the moment. So yeah. I was going to say in terms of just pure numbers, that's the highest it would be. You know, not without getting into yeah, to watts per kilo. So. But uh, yeah, it's mostly what what it comes down to in the end is the speed. So yes, well, this is something that Frederick was talking about, and, and I know Cam Worth has talked about as well with me. Is that is that you know the numbers don't matter if you can't find speed on the course. Which do you think about that? Do you think about how to you know not just be as strong as you can, but to how how to be as fast as you can? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm. I'm like we have been doing a lot of aerodynamic testing. So I think one of the reasons for my fast bike performances also comes down to equipment. And I have a guy that works for the Danish four kilometers uh, track pursuit team, which got second at the Olympics. And they've basically tested everything in the whole world of aerodynamics. So he's my maybe the guy in the world that knows more, most about uh, aero and he's helping me with my setup and he's helping with me with uh, like testing on velodrome and stuff like that so it's incredible how much free speed you can actually find if you just test and, and experiment a little bit and then obviously another component is where you put down the, the power on the course when you're out on the course riding are you thinking about that are you thinking about like save energy here spend energy here or are you just is it to, to completely dictated to by who's doing what around you or how you're feeling at the time yeah it's a it's a, a complex one because obviously there is some race dynamics going on also uh, so i can i can't just uh, put uh, i say i want to average this and then spread it across the the course, as I believe, is the fastest because, for instance, in Roth, I was having Patrick Lange uh, trying to ride with me for the first part of the ride. And that just meant that I had to go much harder 
for the first uh, 30 to 40 minutes than we had actually planned because I didn't want to bring, bring him, him to the front. So, but generally I want, I, like, I try to push the power, for instance, on, on, the, on the climbs, you need to push a little bit more and then going is quite, uh, like a, a lot of the people I find can actually push quite hard up the climb, but once they hit the top, they don't get the bike up to speed very quick, uh, maybe because they uh, have been pushing uh, over their limits on the on the on the climb. So it's also quite important that you on the typically there is a flat section on top of some of the hills where you can really lose a lot of time if you don't push the, the bike up to speed uh, again. Hey, everyone, just jumping in for a quick one minute break from the episode for our first ever weekly Patreon thank yous. Every week, I'm going to try and thank two or three people who have signed up. Um, if you don't want to be thanked, just send me a message on Patreon or Instagram when you do sign up and, and let me know. Uh, first up is Harry Nissen. Harry's a, a South Australian lad. He was uh, a footballer turned triathlete. Um, Harry recently did Ironman 70.3 Cairns and and super impressive. He did a seven-minute PB, which is so bloody good because Cairns is just not a fast course at all. The course and the conditions just make it pretty slow to be honest so that was massive from harry um he's also just one of the all-time great people and and regularly messages me on instagram to chat about the show which i actually really value um, and appreciate uh, and he also chucks on how they train on the on the makita when he's on the on the job site for everyone to listen to which which i love uh so yeah thanks heaps for your support harry it it, it doesn't go uh, undervalued or unnoticed um, i really appreciate it so yeah thanks for signing up and um next up is is maddie hart Maddie was, uh, I think he might have been the first ever person who actually reached out to me on, on, on Instagram via an Instagram message and and just asked me, hey hey Jack, do you have a um, do you have a Patreon? I, I'd love to support you and sort of like took me back a little bit. I, I hadn't, no one had really said that before and I hadn't really thought about it. I knew other podcasts did it. I I sort of I, I didn't I don't know maybe I didn't value the show enough to um, to think that someone would want to support me like that. So. Yeah, Maddie's message was was a big reason why I decided to to start a Patreon, and and without that push, I might not have started one. And um, yeah, so just so you know, Maddie, that that meant a lot, and your support to to sign up to Patreon straight away the the minute that you saw I had started one. Um, yeah, uh, really, really appreciate it. So thanks heaps, Matt. Um, thanks thanks for the support from both of you guys. Uh, you're both officially best friends of the show and, and I hope you enjoy the Patreon exclusive episode of Jack, Beth and Reedy, which comes out on Wednesday this week. Um, I'm sure both of you will send in some feedback on that. So yeah, uh, if, if you guys would like to sign up for Patreon to support the show, the link like always is in the episode description or over on the How They Train Instagram in the bio. Uh, I really do try and put heaps of time and effort into the show. So every bit of your support keeps it going and and. I'm really not joking when I say it. it means the world to me and I can't wait to thank you all for, for the support. Um, this week, I'm also bringing out a brand new episode on Friday where I'm going to chat about a specific training topic that'll be going every single Friday. It'll be a 10, 15, 20 minute episode where I put up a poll on Instagram and whatever whatever training topic wins the poll, I will talk about on that Friday. So yeah, we've got three episodes coming out every week purely as a result of the support I'm getting on Patreon. Um, and, and, and it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Magnus guys. Thanks again. Yeah. So just to go back to Roth, cause you mentioned it again then, and to, to sort of come full circle, um, can you take me through 
the race day itself. Can you take me through sort of like from the start of the race to the finish of the race and give me like a how it played out and what you were feeling at certain moments and when were the big moments in your mind and and you know things mm. like like how how were you seeing the 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 race play out on the on the swim bike and run? Yeah, so as I said before, it's probably as close to a perfect race from uh, for me as <laughs> you can get. I had a very good start of the swim. I didn't. It's it's also because there is there is probably one kilometer until the first buoy, so there is not a lot of fighting and. With the swim level I have right now, it's it's quite good, but it's still not as, as I mean. Sometimes I I'm I lose more time, and it's I think a lot of it comes down to, for instance, if there is a buoy after two hundred meters, then there is a lot of fighting, and sometimes it can be maybe more of a not a lottery, but it's it's it can be quite complicated and and complex to actually figure out how to hit the right pack. But here it was. I had just clear water from from the start and managed to find some some good feet and could see the lead kayak the whole way. And then after maybe 200 meters, I was on the feet of uh, yeah that we were. I could see I was in the in the pack and basically I stayed on the same feet the whole way through. So it's quite complex with swimming. Is that I've had swims where I've been struggling so bad and been been feeling that that I was. Uh, swimming so hard and and then here you hit the right feet and it feels so easy <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's very uh, yeah tricky sometimes <laughs> but then I got out of the water and could see that I had my coach uh, telling me that I was one minute and 15 uh, uh, behind Frodo and that was uh, yeah I had a plan beforehand that depending on the on the gap to him, I would either have to go quite hard or if the gap was big, do it more conservatively. Uh, so here it was 115 is quite uh, manage manageable and, and for me, I think. And But I could also see Patrick was, he was actually maybe one or two positions in front of me. So I knew that would be quite a crucial moment uh, when I passed him to make sure I didn't bring him up, him up to the front also. So I basically just, uh, and the whole way uh, while doing this, I was feeling very much in control, but I basically for the first uh, 40 minutes, I pushed uh, <laughs> now close to threshold power, uh, more than I would do in a 70.3 actually to, to bridge the gap. Uh, and then I could see, uh, I could see that Patrick was actually trying to hang on for the first few minutes, but then we hit a small hill and I really pushed the hill and on top of the hill also and got away from him uh, and bridged to Frodo. Could see we were around five people in the group then. And with the dynamics, it it would be quite difficult to get away. I tried to to really put in a huge search on, on the longest hill, but he was also uh, riding really strong. So... And I had been going like in Texas, it was it was an extremely even paced bike. So we knew that I should be able to run 240 if I did that. But this time I had been the first 45 minutes was basically harder than a 70.3. So I was also a bit worried about, 
okay, is this going to affect my run maybe? But I was actually feeling very much in control. And <laughs> I remember I got the thought that my power meter was broken because it just I just pushed so good uh, power compared to the feeling. But then I decided to stay in the group and let some of the other guys do some work. Uh, and Jan was actually riding extremely fast and taking some very long turns uh, on the front. And one by one, I could see that uh, first or I think uh, the Brazilian uh, guy, Colucci, uh, was struggling. So then we were four and then around 120 or something like that, I could see on a hill that uh, Maurice Clavel uh, was starting to, to lose the group. So and so basically uh, all the other guys fell off one by one. And then at the end, it was just uh, Jan and I, and he was riding really fast on the last. Uh, it was a little bit annoying because there were, on the second lap, we got, there was a lot of traffic on the course uh, because we were lapping all the age groupers. So there were some quite dangerous situations. And I think Jan is quite good technically. So he was just hammering through all the the small towns in, in, in Roth. And I maybe took it a little bit more carefully. So... Uh, I had to spike my power quite a lot after some of, I maybe lost uh, 50, 50 or 100 meters through some of the smaller cities and then I had to bridge up to him. So I wasn't really thinking of either breaking away or, or taking uh, the biggest pull up front. Uh, and I was also quite, uh, I mean, I knew that in Texas I did a 240, mm -hmm. so I was quite hopeful for, for my running and from the testing we did uh, uh, Tuesday beforehand, we could see that my my run level was actually uh, quite a lot better than before Texas. So I was uh, I was confident, even though you you it's when you start a run against Frodeno, you really don't know what to expect. But I also knew he he had been injured, so I I figured my my chances were. Were quite all right if we it was going to a head to head battle on the run. Uh, so I was mainly focusing on just sticking to my nutrition plan and stretching my back on some of the hills and and that. And then we hit T two and Jan had taken socks on already in uh, in the first transition, so he was really going through uh, second trans transition uh, quick. So I think I lost maybe 20 seconds or something like that, which <laughs> I was a little bit uh, worried about. And I have I had been riding the last part of the bike course, really looking forward to going head to head against him. And then he's all, always like he's already gapping me <laughs> through the transition. Uh, but I could see I could see him the whole way, maybe running 100 meters in front of me. I could also see that he was maybe a little to me it looked like he was running a little bit stiff in the shoulders and just the general body language that he was yeah he was showing but at the same time we were going quite fast the first four kilometers and then suddenly he he pulls out on the side of the road and i am in front of the, the one of the biggest races in the world so that was quite a, a big uh, it was quite difficult actually to uh, in the mind to have that shift going from being so focused on the duel and the battle and wanting to 
really dig deep and have a good good race against him and then suddenly you are still 38 kilometers away from the finish line and you are leading with more than 10 minutes down to Patrick so I knew basically if I was able to put one front front foot in front of the other the whole way and just keep on pushing then the victory should be mine so I just tried to avoid uh, any stupid like mistakes and really take my time to cool down in the aid stations and stick to the nutrition plan and yeah so that was how <laughs> it, and even though around 37 kilometers there is a, a turnaround where mm. I make a like a manual lap on my watch and I split it to 10 minutes even though I then do the math in my head saying okay I'm 10 minutes in front of Patrick and we are I'm doing 345 per kilometers that means he has to run one minute and 45 uh, uh, per kilometer the rest of the time which is impossible <laughs> even though I do those calculations in my head it's still like my brain is still trying to tell me no 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 it's it it will go something will go wrong and he's going to <laughs> to catch you so it, it was quite hard to believe actually <laughs> yeah it's funny it's it's funny how you do that to yourself in a race isn't it when you're out there in front like I've obviously never been in the front of a race so big like that but you you don't you're not really thinking logically you sort of the the like old adage that you're running scared really is true isn't it yeah yeah i mean all the i'm quite a a logical thinking guy but under pressure and in the heat of the the battles all your like the your thoughts can be so uh, your, your brain is just playing with you and for me it has been really important to have some some people out on the course actually telling me what is happening otherwise i think previously i've had a tendency to losing my head a little bit in in the in the crucial moments so it's something i've been working on quite a lot actually and it it's not easy to to lead a race even though people seem to think that it must be the <laughs> the best thing i i always have struggled a little bit with that and for instance, when I was chasing Jan on the bike, I was so focused on just getting closer, getting closer, come on, push a little bit more. And, and then when, so, when you're suddenly leading, you don't have anyone to to like, to like look forward to catching or something. You have to find some completely other motivational factors. When you were out there on the bike or on the run, at any point, did you and Jan like say much to each other or was there, yeah, was there, was there any conversation had? Yeah, I could figure he was uh, on the first part of the bike course. He really tried to make me work on the bike, uh, which I I could see I was the only one he was actually talking to like that. So I thought it was actually quite a, a positive sign that he was maybe a little bit worried. But then on the last bike part, he was really working hard. So there we weren't saying anything to each other. And when we were sitting in the changing tent in T2, there was no communication at all. So it was the same when I was running with Ben Hoffman in Texas. Uh, like not at any point did someone say a word to each other. So it was just so intense. And that's really, it's such a cool experience to have. Yeah, that's goosebump stuff. Did, what about after the race? Did did you and Jan or or you and Patrick talk about the race or talk about your race or things that happened out there? 
Yeah, so I think they have both been incredibly uh, great uh, sportsmen uh, congratulating me and telling me how, how big it was. And there was an, an after party for the volunteers uh, a day after uh, the race where I was talking a lot to Jan. And it really, like, it means a lot when a guy, a young guy like me gets the recognition of some of the older people and actually hearing that they believe what I did was quite uh, amazing. Well, there's no doubt that what you did was uh, more than quite amazing. It's, yeah, like I said in the intro, it was it was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Um, and and at your age, you're only 24, aren't you, Magnus? Yeah, 24, yeah. 24, yeah. Like, phew, who knows what you're <laughs> going to do? Like, it's, it's pretty crazy what the shift that's happening in Ironman where really – there was a, a patch where you had to be pretty old to do anything good in, in over the long distance. Like, you know, you had to really be at least 30, if not 32 to 34 to, to win the world champs. But this year we had Christian win it at 27 and pff, do like crazy shit. And then we've, we've had you do this at Roth, the Roth in the same year at 24. And yeah, it's, it's like sort of, it's almost becoming like Iron Man is making a shift to not just being an old old man sport that you do after you've done your Olympic cycles in ITU or or when you come to the sport a little bit later and 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 get good at it because you you've trained for 15 years when you hit 35 so now you're ready to win it's sort of like it feels like the younger brigade are getting into long distance triathlon earlier starting when they're sort of teenagers and and now we're seeing young, yeah. younger people start to take over like like yourself yeah, I think, and it will be, I just, I think we are a generation coming up uh, who have been seeing what the, 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 the German, uh, the older German uh, people have been doing and watching those legend race and have been quite inspired. And we just want to leave no st stone unturned, like trying to dig into every single detail and I think it will be quite interesting to see on Kona because traditionally each year everyone has been saying this year is the is the year where the younger generation is going to take over. But every time it has been uh, <laughs> the 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 more experienced one that has been coming out on top. But I really think that this year is is going to be quite special uh, in that regard, and I can't wait to to, to race that. So <laughs> yeah, so put yourself out of it don't we'll pretend you're not racing Kona um and and I know like it's probably a little bit hard to talk about um because you are so focused on how you're going but if you had to pick a favorite going into Kona right now who you believe is going to win would it would it be you know one of um uh Jan Gustav or Christian or would it be someone else oh it's uh, obviously yeah <laughs> incredibly hard question to ask but I think it it really depends on the swim of if I'm not there of Christian and Gustav, for instance, in uh, Saint George, uh, Christian was not with the front pack, and I believe Jan could have uh, contributed to the the bike speed in the first pack, so they would have been starting the run a little bit more in front of uh, of Blumenfeld, and then I think actually Jan could maybe have won that. If, if he has not been running injured, it's, it's a bit of a, a, it's quite uncertain how, how much it will impact him in Kona. But if, if they, if they are not in the first pack and they don't get a free ticket by 
some of the Uber bikers or something like that, they will also have to work a lot harder on the bike than they really want to. And then if they bridge to the front, I think they are the favorites. But if they start maybe uh, just a few minutes behind uh, Jan, then and they have been working harder than they really wanted to on the bike, then it will be quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's hope that that we don't have to talk about any of them because you're the guy who's out in front <laughs> winning it. <laughs> yeah, that's what we are working towards now, definitely. Yeah. Well, I reckon that's a, a good place to wrap it up. That was, yeah, that was awesome, uh, Magnus. So like, so open and honest about about everything, and and yeah, like I, I've I've been following you for a, for a long time, and I'm not one of the people who who hasn't rated you. I I, I think I've seen <laughs> probably the last two years. I've thought, oh, it's only a matter of time until this guy's, if not the best in the world, one of the very best in the world. And and you've probably got there a little quicker than I thought you were going to. And and I was very high on you early. So um, yeah, well done, mate. Yeah, the same with me. It's it's uh, even though you have the the numbers uh, backing you up, it's it's a completely different thing to actually go out and prove it in a race. So it's sometimes it takes a long time sometimes. Uh, yeah. So I've always also just been quite amazed of how fast everything has been going actually. <laughs> yeah. You're obviously just doing the right things and, and, and your head, your head switched on. So keep doing it, mate. And, 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 and the world's your oyster. The triathlon world's definitely your oyster. Uh, I look forward to, to, to watching you at Kona this year and, and, and the rest of your career. I'm sure we'll chat again before that, maybe maybe a bit closer to Kona to see how you're tracking in the lead up. But definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it'll be awesome to, to follow you along. So yeah. thanks heaps for coming on, Magnus. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and Yeah, and hope, thank you for having me. Hope your training goes well thank and you, you don't so crash. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the one thing I'm worried about when I'm out cycling at the moment. Just don't crash, don't crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your training day and uh, and we'll chat soon. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. See you, Magnus.